Thank you, and once again, good day to the students and teachers of the Word of God. We're in our 102nd lesson on the Theological Seminar of the Air, and this concludes nearly the entire series, with only two more broadcasts after this, one special broadcast on temptations, and the final broadcast on the offense of the cross. Now, as we've said before, for about uh, five months now, we've been dealing with intensely practical subjects, subjects to deal with Christian life itself having covered the great doctrines of soteriology, eschatology, theology, Christology, uh, bibliology, anthropology, demonology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. Our last few lessons have been the subjects as prayer, soul winning, consecration, assurance of salvation, sanctification, confession of Christ, finding the Lord's will, separation, backsliding. In our previous lessons, we talked about the grace of giving, the contrast between law and grace, the judgments, and on our last two broadcasts, a detailed exposition of what the Bible teaches about heaven and about hell. Our lesson this week deals with the matter of divorce and remarriage. There's been a great deal said about this subject, and as usual, most of the material has been gained from pretending the Bible said things it didn't say. The way to spot the man who is privately interpreting the Bible is to see what he does with the Scripture. When presented with the Scripture, if he tries to get rid of it by going to the Greek or the Hebrew, then, of course, he has an ulterior motive in mind. If he adds to the word, he's up to something crooked. If he subtracts from the word, he's, some, he's up to something crooked. Now, it isn't a matter of us disagreeing with those who disagree with us. It isn't a matter of us thinking everybody's wrong except those with the group that agree with us. That's the accusation I made with the little babies today who can't stand a rebuke. Whenever you talk to these apostate fundamentalists who can no longer stand sound doctrine, they always say, well... You just attack folks that don't agree with you, and you think everybody is wrong except you. That's the uh, whining of a spoiled brat. We're interested in what you think, or what your friends think, or what we think. Furthermore, we're not interested in what you believe, or what your friends believe, or what we believe. What we're interested in is what does God say. You can always spot the heretic when he quotes the Word of God by how he quotes it. As a man has said, it is possible to teach anything from the Bible, and it is. It is possible to make the Bible the anything you want it to say, and it is. But it's not possible to make the Scriptures teach a lie unless you do one of three things. And you'll notice if you've been with us now through 102 broadcasts, we never have once done one of those three things. Did you notice that? In over 50 hours of broadcasting on this broadcast, you never heard this speaker once put a word in the verse that wasn't there. In over 50 hours of broadcasting, covering well over 500 verses of Scripture in this series, you've never heard us take a word out of the verse that was in the verse, and you've never heard us remove the verse from the context in which it was found. The reason for this is all false doctrine in America today is backed up the Scripture. All false doctrine in America today is taught by people who profess to believe the Scripture, and all false doctrine is reinforced by quoting Scripture. It is done by a simple operation. The false teacher either adds to the verse, or takes from the verse, or takes the verse out of context. Nowhere will that be more evident when we get to our lesson today on Romans 7, and see how every apostate of fundamentalists in America has read a divorce into the passage, when there is no divorce anywhere near the passage. A man and woman, Romans chapter 7, have been through no divorce at all of a legal nature. No papers have been issued, no grounds have been found. And yet the standard interpretation will read this in. 
So we'll talk about that today and more, too, now as we continue our lesson today, which is on divorce and separation and remarriage. Today in the United States, one marriage in three ends in a divorce court. Divorce represents one of the major problems in the home today. Most of these divorces could have been prevented if some counsel regarding marriage had been sought before marriage. Today, divorce is granted for many reasons, including adultery, cruelty, desertion, drunkenness, neglect to provide, vagrancy, eating crackers in bed, conviction of crime, having dogs in the house, separation, bigamy, incompatibility, fraudulent representation, misconduct, and on some occasions, canaries and doves in the house. Let us approach this subject by attempting to answer a number of questions. First of all, how long is a marriage contract? Well, a marriage contract in a marriage ceremony is till death breaks it. Of course, this isn't a Bible position. This is a marriage ceremony position that came from the installation of a so-called sacrament in the Dark Ages by the Roman Church. Matthew 19:6 says, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, indicating that a divorce can be accomplished by a man. In marriage, the original marriage in Genesis chapter 2, God performed a miracle when two individuals became one person. Of course, two people can become one person now without either of them having a marriage license or a marriage ceremony. And God very rarely performs this, because in the first place it isn't a miracle, and many times it's of the devil. Therefore, to say that God performs a miracle in marriage, or that only God is permitted to join people or break people, is nonsense. For example, marriage between saved people and unsaved people is forbidden by God, and a marriage ceremony in the Bible is not a marriage. Now, what constitutes a marriage in the Bible? In the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6.16, we read, Sexual union constitutes marriage. What, know ye not that each is joined to a heart of his one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. The marriage is legal because the law says that a marriage duly performed is a legal ceremony in a state. If the proper documents are signed, they are officially man and wife in an inseparable unit according to the paper. This ignores the fact they could not be, uh, they could be a separable unit even if they had the paper. Marriage then is twofold. From the standpoint of the state and the law, it is legal. From the standpoint of the Bible, it is spiritual. And of course, in neither case is it from God at all if the couples aren't saved. After all, in the, in the Bible, the original marriage has been Adam and Eve in a saved condition, and the instructions for man and woman being one together are never found applied to any unsaved person in either testament. The teaching that God seals marriages is nonsense. The church may perform it, the state may perform it, and the bodies may come together. Where the bodies come together, this forms a marriage, 1 Corinthians 6.16, but in this case is a marriage based on fornication. Read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, 16, 17. In most states, the marriage is legal only if the law says it's legal. Now, we have a question coming up. If a couple in a state of intoxication or infatuation have a civil ceremony, are they legally married? Is such a marriage null and void? The answer is they're not married one way or another because the civil ceremony is not a marriage. The modern apostate fundamentalists consistently few confuse the ceremony with the marriage. There is no ceremony in Genesis chapter 2. Somebody said, well, then, of course, you're teaching common law marriage. No, we're not at all. We're trying to point out the essence of a marriage is flesh joining flesh. The essence of a divorce is flesh leaving flesh. And this is why Matthew 19, 6 says, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh, 
What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. No couple was ever joined by a man. They were put in two by a man. They became one when their bodies joined. They can be put asunder when a third party intervenes. Now, what constitutes a divorce, or is there a scriptural ground for divorce? Yes, there are three scriptural grounds for divorce. The first reason is for fornication, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say unto you, whoever shall put away his wife except thee for fornication shall marry another, commits adultery. You notice in the passage, the passage is plainly talking about a remarriage in the context. That is, where the scriptural grounds are there, the remarriage is there. For all three scriptural grounds of divorce, a remarriage is in the immediate context every time. The reason why the modern apostate fundamentalist has only one ground of divorce is, number one, he doesn't know what a divorce is, and number two, he doesn't know what a marriage is. In the legalistic thinking of the modern apostate fundamentalist, the position of the Pharisees is taken that a marriage is a sacrament or ceremony, which it is not, and a divorce is papers you get from a lawyer, which it isn't. Now, the word fornication in a dictionary will be, uh, if you look it up, will have something to do with illicit relationship with single people, while adultery has to do with illicit relationship between married people. Obviously, the dictionary is somewhat handicapped by its lack of intelligence in these matters, because according to this situation, married people couldn't get a divorce unless they committed adultery with single people, which is nonsense. The newer translations refuse to translate the Greek word at all and translate it as unfaithfulness. And, of course, this is not the meaning of the word at all. This is a made-up private interpretation by the new translations, which are also translated by apostates. Now, the second grounds for divorce is plainly death. You read in Romans chapter 7, verse 3, If her husband is dead, she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Death severs the parties. One party is no longer joined to the other party. The reason why the modern apostate fundamentalist doesn't look like at this as a divorce is the fool thinks that a divorce is a paper. To the contrary, a divorce is where flesh is sundered from flesh. Henceforth, quote, they are no more twain but one flesh, what therefore God's joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, when one party dies, obviously God has put them asunder. An act of God, death, divorces the living party from the dead party. You say, how do you interpret this? You interpret this according to what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, like in the case of desertion, that the party who is deserted is not bound to the other party. Notice 1 Corinthians 7.15, If the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. A person who is married is not bound anymore to a person who has stepped out of them. Whether or not they want to get a divorce or forgive them is up to them. It's a matter of grace and a matter of Christianity, not a matter of legal ground. The grounds are there. If a person has a husband or wife die, they are obviously no longer bound to the corpse and don't have to be buried to it. By the same token, you are plainly told that desertion, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, is a ground of divorce, and if a person is a believer... They are not bound to the party that uh, deserts. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Now, this means that there are three scriptural grounds of divorce, which have always been there, have always been there, and the apostate teaching that the only ground of divorce is death is nonsense, 
and the only ground of divorce is fornication, is some more nonsense. Two-thirds of the truth is a lie. After all, you're to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And when you teach the truth that there's only one cause of divorce, you are two-thirds a liar. If you're teaching two causes, then you're only lying 33% of the time. How often is a man to be trusted who will lie 33% of the time? Answer, not at all. Now, the three grounds of divorce are clearly given. I'll give them again for you. You can understand them and get them clearly. Romans chapter 7, verse 3, which is death. In this case, the believing party is not bound to the other party. Desertion, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 15. The believing party is not bound to the other party. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, fornication. The believing party is not bound to the other party, for the other party has joined his flesh to another party. This brings up the question, when an innocent party has a right to divorce and can get a divorce, should they always press for it? No, divorce is never commanded, but it is permitted under these three cases. The three cases permitted are death. That doesn't mean you have to remarry. Fornication, that doesn't mean you have to divorce and remarry. Desertion, that doesn't mean you have to divorce and remarry. Divorce was not the original plan of God before man fell. Why are them divorces? Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 19, 18, 19, 8. Moses, because the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wife. But from the beginning it was not so. You will notice in the context that Jesus is not saying that divorce cannot be obtained. He said, Moses lets you get a divorce for any reason. Uh, the modern apostate fundamentalist who quotes Matthew chapter 19 always leaves off the context. The Pharisees ask this question, quote, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That was the question. And, of course, the question came from Deuteronomy, where a man was allowed to put away his wife if he just didn't like her. The passage says if he found some uncleanness in her without defining what, then he could put her away. Now, the Pharisees are asking a question about this passage in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 to 4. And yet, strange enough, that the modern apostate uh, fundamentalist college or university the sucker in the student uh, chair is taught that when Christ answers 19.8, that he's talking about no divorce for any reason. And, of course, this isn't true at all. The Pharisees are asking, can a man get a divorce for any reason? They are told the legal grounds he can get a divorce for in this passage are fornication. Later on, you're told in 1 Corinthians by Paul, who said, and I speak not the Lord Jesus Christ, but I adding to the revelation, because Christ gave no commandment concerning what Paul spoke of, desertion was grounds, and in both cases, a remarriage is in the context. Now, did you notice that? Notice the remarriage is in the context in Matthew chapter 19, and then you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27, Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. And the remarriage is in the next verse. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. In plenty words, the modern apostate fundamentalist is somewhat of a Pharisee in his position toward the Word of God and somewhat of a Bible rejecter. It is perfectly clear from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 15, that a saved man or a saved woman is, quote, not under bondage. So if he's not bound but loose, verse 27, or she is not bound but loose, verse 27, 
they advised, Seek not a wife, but if you marry, you have not sinned. Is that clear? I ask, is that clear? Because you won't get that teaching anywhere except out of the black and white text of a King James authorized version. My teaching is Bible teaching on the free scriptural ground of divorce for the remarriage in every context. And these people talk about so many living wives and living husbands are mentally sick. And I'll show you why in a minute when we get to Romans chapter 7. Do you realize that if some nut in your town is teaching that a person has two living wives or two living husbands, they're implying they should divorce the party they now have and go back and get the first one? Did you know in Deuteronomy 24 in the law you couldn't do that? Did you know in Deuteronomy 24, if your second husband died, you couldn't go back and take the first one? Deuteronomy 24.4, her former husband would send her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin. You say, why are you quoting Deuteronomy? Well, that's easy, children. Romans 7 begins, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Aren't we living in an amazing age? Here's an age of people that don't understand the rules of marriage and divorce given the law, and those are the rules that are quoted by Paul in the New Testament, Romans 7. Now listen, there isn't an apostate, conservative, or fundamentalist in your town that doesn't teach that woman in Romans 7 has two living husbands because she's been married twice. And that woman in Romans chapter 7 according to the law, and it begins, I know, I speak to them that know the law, that woman is an adulteress who is stepping out on her husband and only has two husbands in the sense that she has joined her body to two different men. You couldn't find a legal divorce or a writing of divorcement in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 4, with a flashlight. Isn't it strange? All over this country there are Christian men and women who have this tragedy take place in their lives, well, they've gone through divorce proceedings, and the other party has gone off his way, they've gone off their way, and then they've had other families. And here is some pharisaical, Bible-perverting nut standing up there and saying that until the party they were married to before is dead, they have two living wives or three living wives or three living husbands or two living husbands. What a blasphemous piece of Bible perversion. That woman, Romans chapter 7, wasn't legally divorced from her husband, the man was still her husband when she joined her body to the body of another man. Quote, Romans 7, 2. The woman which hath a husband, present tense. It didn't say she was divorced from her husband. Of all the godless claptrap some of you people get stewed up in. The woman which hath a husband. That isn't the case of a woman who had a legal divorce or her husband had a legal divorce on grounds of fornication. Boy, haven't we got some winners these days. Imagine these pied sapheads in these seminaries talking about these new Bibles bringing more light in the Scripture, and they can't get a passage right in their own language. In any translation. Isn't that the weirdest thing you ever heard of? Here's a bunch of nuts sitting around talking about original manuscripts, and these new manuscripts shed more light in the Scripture, and they can't even expound Romans 7, 1 to 5, and go around slandering their brothers and sisters in Christ because they themselves don't have the sense that God gave a brass monkey. Isn't that something? Well, this woman, Romans chapter 7, verse 2, has had no legal divorce, nor has her husband. 
she's bound to by the law of her husband as long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, not the fellow she was married to, not the man she was divorced from, not the man that stepped out on her, not the man that deserted her, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Now when the self-righteous Pharisees hit verse 3, they put two and two together and got six. They figured if the woman was married to another man, quote, Romans 7, 3, it was a reference to a marriage ceremony. You know why that is? Because all self-righteous Pharisees are sacramentalists. And some of them have been stepping out in their own wives. And if they ever began to teach that a marriage was flesh joining flesh, they'd have to face the terrible fact that some of them had been married three to ten times with no divorce papers and no marriage papers. God's going to catch up for some of the bread in the judgment seat of Christ. You know that? Now, let's get the thing clear. There are three scriptural grounds of divorce. If you've been taught less or none, you've been misled by Satan. In every case, in Romans chapter 7, remarriage is permissible. In every case, remarriage is permissible, 1 Corinthians 7. In every case, Matthew 19, remarriage is permissible, and is in the context. One of these brethren said, if a wife is divorced and marries someone else who later dies, may she return to her first husband? No. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 to 4. Somebody said, should a divorced person remarry? If the person was divorced on scriptural grounds, they have a perfect right to remarry. They're warned against it. They're told to be cautious, and they were told to marry only a Christian. But the second marriage is permitted. If they were divorced on unscriptural grounds, the common saying is, the second marriage would be, quote, living in adultery. No such thing occurs anywhere in the Bible. In the Bible, once that second marriage takes place and your body joins the body of another person, that is your husband or your wife, and the expression living in adultery is irreligious, blasphemous nonsense. Now, there are many reasons why people should avoid divorce if possible. Consider the welfare of the children who suffer the most. Consider the reproach connected with divorce and the scandal it still engenders. Some churches today deny church privilege to divorce people because many churches today are composed of Pharisees. Many self-righteous whitewashed Christians look on divorce as sinful, regardless of the circumstances. Some of the whitewashed Pharisees in your church think that sins of sex are unpardonable sins. They believe everything in the past can be covered by the blood except sins of sex. These people have a sex fixation. They are what they call sex-obsessional neurotics. The innocent party, of course, in all three cases, has a right to remarry. The problem comes up, is it permissible for a divorced person to hold a church office? If the person was innocent, the divorce granted a scripture ground, the answer is certainly yes. They certainly can hold a church office. Now, at this point, the whitewashed Pharisee steps forward and quotes 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 1, and begins to say, well, shouldn't the bishop be the husband of one wife? Yes, he certainly should. You say, well, then obviously he never could have been married more than once. That isn't what the verse said. Now, to show you how insincere the teaching is of the modern Christian college or university, take any 30 at random, if you would approach these Pharisees and say, look here, here's a man pastoring a church who was married once and had a marriage ceremony, and then his wife died, and after she was dead, he had another marriage and another marriage ceremony. And you said he only could be married once. Can this bishop take the office of pastor? He's had two marriages, and the Pharisee would immediately say, oh, yes, because of death. You know what he said by this? 
He has said, number one, a bishop can step out in the wife he has as long as he only has one paper. Number two, he can have two papers in case of one scriptural cause of divorce, but can't have two papers on the other scriptural cause of divorce. This is what are known as higgledy-piggledy derangement, or button-button, who's got the button? The scripture didn't say a bishop must be married once at all. It says he must be the husband of one wife. Is that clear? If he's stepping out of his wife, he's like the adulterous woman in Romans 7, in which case he's a polygamist. And the warning in 1 Timothy 3 was given to prevent polygamy in the pastor's office. Now, what about married people who are contemplating divorce? The only answer to this thing is both getting right with God. Let them spend time in prayer together. Let each get right with the Lord and then right with one another. Let the husband be the actual head of the home, not merely a figurehead. Let the wife, according to the Word of God, be in subjection to her own husbands. Continually ask, continually pray, and pray for love for each other, and pray for God to help and give grace. Now, these are the Bible answers to these problems. Whatever you've been taught that doesn't line up with the Word of God, as it is written where it is found, is heresy. The verses I gave you today, I gave you in the context. I gave them to you so you can look them up. I put nothing into the verses, took nothing out of the verses, and read the verse in the context in which they appear. As they go off the air today, I'm going to quote these verses again and give you time to write them down, because this subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage is the most perverted doctrinal subject in America today among fundamentalists and conservatives. Now get paper and pencil. I'll give you time to write these down. I'll repeat, repeat each reference twice. So there can't be any mistake in your mind about what the references are, and you can read them for yourselves. One warning before we start. When you look up these verses, look them up in the Holy Bible, the authorized Protestant Bible of the Reformation. Every Bible translated since that time has had an axe to grind and a bone to pick and a chip on the shoulder for God to knock off by private interpreters who wanted to make the Bible say something it didn't say. First quotation, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, which says in the Old Testament, a man could put away his wife for any cause. Second passage, Matthew 19, verse 4-12. Matthew 19, verse 4-12, which shows that a marriage is not a marriage ceremony and a divorce are not divorce papers, which shows that marriage is a physical affair, and which gives the first scriptural grounds for divorce, stepping out from the party physically, and joining the body to another party physically. The next passage, Romans 7, verse 1 to 3, which shows when a person is stepping out in the other party, they temporarily have more than one husband or wife and are polygamous. Hence, they're guilty of adultery, Romans 7, 1 to 3, which is grounds for divorce. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 6 to 18, which shows clearly and plainly that marriage is a physical affair and is not a marriage ceremony. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 37 to 40, which shows that death is ground of divorce, and 1 Corinthians 7, 15, which shows desertion is ground of divorce. Desertion, death, and fornication are legal scriptural grounds for divorce, and in every case, a remarriage is in the context. That's the Bible teaching on this important subject. May God help you to believe the Word instead of some twisted, 
perverted, self-righteous Pharisee who thinks he's smarter than God. May the Lord bless you and good day.